Blog Talk Radio. to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show is on the Georgetown Memory Project, and my two guests are genealogist Judy Riffle and Patricia Bayon Johnson. Now, Judy Riffle is a professional genealogist with over 30 years' experience. She's based in Baton Rouge, where she specializes in Louisiana records and research. Judy has done genealogical and historical research for numerous television shows and documentaries. Her work has appeared on Who Do You Think You Are? Finding Your Roots, Genealogy Roadshow, The Dead Files, and Killer Profile. And she is the lead genealogist in the Georgetown Memory Project. Patricia Bayon Johnson, a 75-year-old retired biology teacher, lives in Spokane, Washington. And after growing up in New Orleans and living for 40 years in the San Francisco Bay Area, today she volunteers and travels and in her spare time, researches her past. Well, I'm not going to say anything else about them right now because I am so excited to have them come on board. And let's just welcome Judy Riffle and Patricia Bayon Johnson to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so Judy, help us uh, to understand about the Georgetown Project and the Georgetown Slave Sale. Give us some background information. Okay, Uh, the Georgetown Memory Project is a nonprofit group that was formed to learn and to study about the slaves that were sold by uh, Georgetown University uh, two plantations in Louisiana, and uh, they are a, a group of friends and alumni of Georgetown University, 
and um, they have hired me, a professional genealogist, to see if I can find see if I could find what happened to the slaves who were sent to Louisiana. Okay, so take us back to the slaves that were sold to Louisiana and Georgetown's connection. Go all the way back. When did this happen? Tell us about the the university and its involvement in the slave trade. Well, the the Jesuits did have several plantations in Maryland where they had slaves, and um, they uh, decided that they were going to get out of the plantation business, and they decided to sell their slaves, and they arranged to sell them to two men in Louisiana. Uh, uh, Henry Johnson was one, and Jesse Beatty was another. They weren't from Louisiana, but they had established plantations in Louisiana, and they needed slaves. And the Jesuits wanted to ensure that that their slaves would remain Catholic, so that's why they decided to send them to Louisiana, where it was predominantly Catholic. And that's uh, how they arranged to have them sent. They were supposed to maintain their Catholic religion. They wanted to keep the husbands and wives and children together as families. So they had to sell them in large groups uh, to wealthy investors who would keep them together on the plantation. And they ended up selling them and putting them on three separate plantations in Louisiana. Um, One was in Iberville Parish, one was in Ascension Parish, and the third one was in Terrebonne Parish. Okay, so with you telling us the names of the parishes, there's also documentation that uh, you have found to, to know that these were the parishes. Do you know specifically how many individuals were sent to each uh, plantation? Yes, we we know. Um, of course, there were there were 272 slaves. That with that number is a little uh, a little uh, vague. Uh, they they had a list, and when we counted the list up, it was only 272. So they first of all they couldn't count, <laughs> but there were also some problems with some of them because they had to keep husbands and wives together. And sometimes the spouse was owned by a, a neighboring plantation in Maryland. And if um, that was the case, they either had to purchase that slave, that spouse, or they had to make some sort of arrangement to um, exchange them. So the number that came is a little bit, uh, little bit vague, but we think it was about 200 of them came to Louisiana, and the rest stayed in Maryland. Some of them hid out. The slaves would hid out and um, avoided being sent to Louisiana. Um, They ran away. Uh, So we think it was about 60 or 70 of them that stayed uh, in Maryland or ran away in the area. And about 200 or so ended up coming to Louisiana. There were Oh, uh, on each plantation, probably about 60, 50 to 60 on each of the three plantations that were that were sent here. Now, there's a question coming out of the check. They want to know, was one of the plantations the uh, Solterly Plantation? 
No. Um, none of these three plantations had names to start off with. Um, okay. So the one in Iberville Parish, uh, later uh, around 1859, we find a name uh, of West Oaks, which eventually became West Oak Plantation, and it's mm-hmm. near the town of, of Maranguin. The one in Iberville, I mean in Ascension Parish, uh, was uh, it didn't have a name until oh, sometime later, before the Civil War. It's referred to as Chatham Estate, and the one in Terrebonne Parish, as far as I know, never had a, a, a name. It was just referred to by the Beatty and Thibodeau because Mr. Beatty, Dr. Beatty, got mm-hmm. a partner, and it's just referred to as the Beatty and Thibodeau Plantation. And it's around uh, south of of uh, Thibodeau. Right. Well, now I want to ask you about. You now you said about sixty to seventy may have remained in Maryland. Specifically, mm-hmm. where in Maryland? Well, there um, there were three. Uh, I'm sorry, five plantations uh, in Maryland. A couple of them were in uh, St. Mary County. Um, and one was in Charles County, one was in Cecil County, and one was in Anne Arundel County and Prince, Prince oh. George's County. So oh, they were okay. spread out in Maryland. Um, they had names. There was Bohemia Manor, Newtown Manor, White Marsh Plantation, St. Inigo's, and St. Thomas Manor. And I, I have mm-hmm. to say my my knowledge of Maryland geography is pretty poor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so so we know they came from about five plantations in Maryland and they went to three in Louisiana. Yes. And uh did you say I mean the time period now we're talk give us a, t- a time period when this, this is sale 18, took place. 1838, 1839, uh a few stragglers in 1843. Uh, we think the Jesuits sold some uh, a small number before that, and we're we're investigating that right now to find out who they were and where they went. Uh, we don't have any details other than some vague references that they sold a small number of slaves prior to 1838. Mm-hmm. Now, there's someone uh, in the chat saying that their ancestor was a butler, but although she was born in Tennessee, she says in a news article that her mom was sold to someone in Louisiana when she was six or eight. Is there a way perhaps to locate the mom by a guesstimate of the year? Well, we do have butlers uh, in the in the group, um, but um, they they definitely came from Maryland. So um, I, I don't – the butler is a fairly common name, uh, so I don't think we can connect them just based on that. Right. But just about, I mean, when you talk about knowing, you say about 200 people did come from um, from the sale to Louisiana. What do you know about their names, their ages, their sex? Just what kind of information is out there on them? Well, we do have names. Uh, in, in the original uh, Jesuit list, they didn't put surnames, but we do pick up surnames on one of the ship lists. We do have one um, manifest that lists them by first and last name. It was about 130 of them came on the Catherine Jackson at the end of 1838. 
And we do have surnames. We have names like Hawkins and Butler and Scott, um, uh, Queen, uh, Harris, uh, Hill. We have we have several surnames that we, we've compiled a list of, and, and others we've we've learned through, later on through records what surnames they've adopted, like Mahoney and Campbell. So you know we do have some. We have compiled a list of surnames that we're um, we're researching. Mm-hmm. Now name that ship again. What was the name of the ship it's that the they Catherine were on? Catherine Jackson. Catherine with a K. And okay. it left um, in eighteen latter part of eighteen thirty eight and came into New Orleans. And did the and did the Catherine Jackson depart from Virginia or from Maryland? Uh, I believe, if I recall, it was Alexandria, Virginia, I believe. I'm not positive on the departure place, but I think it was mm-hmm. Alexandria. It was? Alexandria. Okay. Yeah, Alexandria. It was the, from Alexandria, Virginia? Yes. And, you know, one of the questions I have uh, for you, <laughs> uh, Judy, is when did you find out about this project? The project they con the the uh, Georgetown Memory Project. I shouldn't say the project. I should say the George. I should say the the slave cell. When did you find out about the slave cell? Well, it was um, about I guess about over ten years ago. I learned about it from Patricia. Um, I had done some research for her, and I had found the sale um, in a courthouse in Louisiana of. Uh, that included her ancestor, and I saw the name Thomas Mullody to Henry Johnson and Jesse Beatty, and I I didn't know anything about Georgetown University at the time, but but I I found Patricia's ancestors listed, and I gave her that document, and she researched it, so she can probably tell you a little bit more about what she found out, which she shared with me later. <laughs> okay, well Patricia, why don't you tell us what you found out. Okay. Um, I contacted Judy in 2004, and I think it was in March, and asked her if she uh, could help me find my uh, family, the Hicks family is what we were researching, uh, for a family reunion. And um, so I provided her with all the documents I had on the Hickses, and um, one of the documents was a, uh, a census, and Judy noted that my great grandmother Rachel, Rachel Scott Butler, no Rachel Scott Hicks, I'm sorry, uh, mother was from Maryland, and she knew of Jesse Beatty who had purchased some slaves from Maryland, so she went to the courthouse and pulled the records. Just one little word, Marilyn. <laughs> Just two. one little word. Mm-hmm. One little word, Marilyn, yes. And so that's how I found out. And then once I, um, Judy pulled those records, I sent them to my aunt in, in New York who was going to uh, write the story. And uh, she Googled Thomas Mullady and Thomas Mullady, uh, you know, came up and I did him, and he was identified as a um, a priest. 
And also, uh, the other document that came up was a digitized uh, document of the four plantations called the Jesuit Plantation Project. And um, that lists all the slaves. It listed uh, supposedly 272, but I guess it's short of 272. And uh, it was an inventory. It was a uh, ship manifest, profiles. They had a uh, chronology, and, uh, resources, a bibliography. It was um, a bunch of papers that mounted to about um, an inch thick of paper because I downloaded it because I prefer to work with paper than read everything on the computer. So, mm-hmm. And that was the Georgetown Jesuit Plantation Project. Um, it's... Um, it was digitized by the students of American Studies at Georgetown University, so it sounded like it was a project for the you know, students who were studying. History. And that was about 10 years ago? That was exactly 2004. That's 12 years In ago. In 2004. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was my first uh, family reunion on my mother's side of the family, the maternal side of my family. Now, Judy had um, helped me with my paternal side, too, the year before. That was in 2002, you know, but gathering information for my uh, for my Bayon family reunion. Mm-hmm. So the Hicks family reunion was the second reunion where I got assistance from, from Judy. And, of course, uh Patricia shared that information with me about the Jesuits and the, the website. And uh, now whenever, you know, people say their ancestors are from Maryland, I say, well, you might want to look at that to see, you know, if they might have been because it was such a large group that came. Uh, it, it's worth looking into. Of course, not all of the slaves who came from Maryland were Jesuit slaves. It was a very active slave trade between Maryland and Virginia and, and Louisiana. So it's you know there are others outside of the Jesuits who came here, but it's worth looking into you know if your ancestors have a Maryland background. Yes, it, it really is worth looking into. But you know, right now it it seems as if information is just being presented to the public. Or uh, have we missed something here? Because it's it's in the news, the New York Times. I mean, every time you look around, you're seeing something. What's going on now uh, that perhaps didn't happen when Patricia first found her information? Well, the the this nonprofit organization, Georgetown Memory Project, was formed late last year with the idea that they wanted to identify these slaves and to trace their descendants. And that's sort of taken off now and and gotten a lot of publicity. And uh, that's why you're hearing about it. But we've sort of known about it for a while down here. Some of us have. Yes, some of Mm -hmm. us have known for 12 years. Right, right. But did uh, just the, the students and some of the faculty members also contribute to the publicity by protesting the names of a building 
simply because they discovered that uh, Father Thomas Melody was one of the individuals involved in the slave, uh, the sale of the slaves. Well, yes, that that yes. did happen last year. That there were some protests, and and I think that, and I I can't speak for the Georgetown Memory Project. I, I work for them, but I'm not a part of the organization. But I think that may have been why that why it was formed and when it was formed to to take the time and effort to to trace what happened to the slaves in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a question coming out of the chat, and the question is, is there a list of the slaves from the Jesuit sale online? Uh, Yes, they they have since established, uh, Georgetown University has since established a website. It's called the... um, the Georgetown Slavery Archive, I believe, and it is um, it's online. Yeah, Georgetown Slavery Archive, um, and it and you can pull up the document and a lot of other documents that they're starting to put online. They're digital documents, and they've transcribed some of them, so you can pull up that list. Uh, the 272 that only adds up to 270. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the Georgetown a, Slavery Archives is it dot org? Uh, um, let me. Let I me think see if it's I, called the George the Working Group on Slavery, Freedom, and Re- Reconciliation. I'm looking okay. at it right now. It's it's AdamRothman dot Georgetown dot domains slash. G-S-A slash. Okay. Okay, and it has just been posted. Uh, thanks, uh, Angela, for posting the link. Now, there's a question, uh, uh, another question, and it's concerning the research of Agnes Kane Callum, and she did her research at Healy Hall where her ancestors' baptismal records are kept. Did and she did this work over 25 years ago. Was any of the, uh, I guess, the online information that we can find about the slaves part of Agnes Kane Collins' uh, work? I am not familiar with that, but I'd be happy to take a look at it and see. Okay, and she did this about 25 years ago. But this is a question that's coming out of the. Uh, chat room. Now okay. we're going to take a quick break and come right back and we're going to have just a quick promo about the uh, Midwest African American Genealogy Institute so just a quick break, okay? Have you thought about a genealogy institute to learn the right way to conduct research on black family history or genealogy? Are you stuck in where to go next for your own research or for a client? If so, then Maggie, the Teaching Institute, is for you. Maggie, M-A-A-G-I, is the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute, now in its fourth year, and this year will unfold in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Maggie is the only multiple-track institute for African American genealogy methods. From July 12th to the 14th, Maggie will take place at the Genealogy Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Join the faculty and your colleagues for the Maggie experience that can change the trajectory of your work. That's Maggie, the Teaching Institute. For more information, 
visit the website at maagiinstitute.org. Well, thank you so much. Um, we're going to, this is Bernice Alexander Bennett, your host of Blog Talk Radio. And you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. And you have been listening to Judy Riffle and Patricia Bayon Johnson. And we have a caller on the line. So, area code 504, do you have a question or a comment? Yes, good evening. Uh, my question good evening. is to, to Ms. Riffle. Now, the enslaved blacks were Pre-arranged to be sold to Mr. Johnson and Dr. Beatty. Uh, I usually uh, I'm thinking of people coming into New Orleans and being and then being put out into the slave market. So was this a, an arrangement and sale yes. done prior to arriving in New Orleans? Yes, it was. It was arranged in uh, Georgetown prior to them coming to New Orleans. Now, would you do you think that maybe? Franklin Armfield did the same type of arrangements. Could that be like a model we could follow? Because as opposed to everybody being put into the markets, when I when I did read the New York Times piece and I saw that, it, it put an idea in my head that maybe a lot of our ancestors that that we do identify on the manifest could they have been prearranged purchased prior to arriving in New Orleans. I think, I think it's probably very likely that did happen. Um, sometimes the plantation uh, owners here in Louisiana would go to Maryland looking for slaves, and then some of them um, were brought down by the slave traders that you mentioned were brought down and sold in New Orleans. So there probably was both both ways. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, Judy, I want to ask you something. Now, you have these 200 names, and you're looking for descendants. Just how are you going to find the descendants? Well, it's pretty uh, complex and time-consuming, as you can imagine. Um, the first thing I had to do after I collected all of these sales, the sale documents that we had here in Louisiana where I could see which slaves went to which plantations, then the, I had to start the process of tracing them through time. And uh, I, I, one of the things I did was to go to the courthouses and uh, look for sales records and, and inventories. Um, that One of the owners died in 1851, so he left inventories of his two plantations in 1851, which is a big help. Um, the other one, he did sell his plantation uh, in parts. He sold half and then another half. And we have those documents that list all the slaves at the time he sold them in the 1840s. So these these documents gave me a lot of information, and it was, in fact, almost too much information. I had to figure out a way how to 
organize it. So I, I created spreadsheets and I started plugging in the names and trying to match them up through time. And that way I could see the family groups growing or shrinking or people dying off. And uh, also I used some of the Catholic church records. I found uh, for the Ascension Plantation, I did find some slave baptismal records um, that have helped me. And as I get close to uh, 18, my goal is to get to the 1870 census where I can find them listed as free people then. Um, I've also used the Freedmen's Bureau records that have helped me, the, like the labor contracts, to get to that point where I can trace them from 1870 and beyond. Um, besides the census, I've been to the courthouse looking for marriage records. Um, and uh, um, then when I get into the early 1900s, I can start using death certificates and uh, at the state archives here. And sometime later, I can start picking up obituaries in the newspapers for them. So that's what that's about sort of the, the Civil War? Have you looked at any of the Civil War records to see if any of the descendants uh, were in the I Civil have, War? I have found. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a couple of the, a few of them have had joined into the um, Union Army when it came through mm-hmm. Louisiana. I have found a few of those so far, but but not very many. Mhm, mhm. So you have the Freedmen Bureau contracts, the courthouse uh, marriage records. You use the Catholic records, church records, uh, the inventories. Um, so how many right now are you? able to say you found them in 1870 census? Uh, let me see. I have a number somewhere. I can give it to <laughs> Hold on just a second. I uh, didn't have that handy. Uh, if you'll give me just a second. I have a lot of well, numbers While you're here. looking, I want to ask Patricia a question. Probably because, Patricia, about what was your... Okay, go ahead on. Uh, probably over 50. Over 50? Oh, mm-hmm. okay. And have you actually contacted? Uh, so you're in 1870. Any, any like, contemporary, have you gotten, like, into 1920s? I mean, can you really go in to seeing where, where the descendants are? Yes, I, I've had better luck um, in, in one plantation than the other two. Um, the, the plantation in Maringouin was uh, sort of a, a, a community, and it stayed a community after the Civil War. Uh, in fact, some of the freedmen uh, leased the plantation and were farming it as, as a community. So they were more intact than the other two plantations. Uh, the one in Ascension Parish seems to have broken up after the Civil War. I think there were probably some some skirmishes in the area, and then the owner died, and they sort of scattered about. Some, a lot of them went to New Orleans, where I find them. Uh, the one mm-hmm. in Terrebonne Parish, after the owner died in 1851, instead of keeping the plantation intact, the slaves were sold to various people in the neighborhood and other places, so they scattered around, and it's gotten harder for me to trace them. But the the plantation in Maringouin, because it stayed such a, um, a 
close-knit community. I've been able to trace them into the 20th century and even to find a lot of present-day descendants. That's the um, plantation that was featured in the New York Times. And, um, you know, many people have been contacting them about that. They think they're And what kind of reaction are you getting if, uh, from some of the descendants? Well, I haven't been in contact with, with very many of them personally. Um, I know that the New York Times is supposed to run an article tomorrow, a follow-up article, and they've interviewed some more of the descendants. Now, what I did was to, to uh, verify that they were descendants of the uh, Georgetown slaves. Um, I haven't been in close contact with very many of them. Okay, but there's a question coming out of the chat, and they want to know, is the project interested in strictly in the descendants of the sale, or are they also interested in those related who remained in Maryland? You know, most of the Catholics from St. Mary's in Baltimore were enslaved by the Jesuits. Uh, yes, um, they are uh the project is definitely interested in uh, the descendants of the Jesuit slaves who remained in Maryland, and that's something that we're getting into now. We're, we're uh, looking to take on more genealogists to help us uh, trace them. So, you know, we'll be looking for help in that area, too. And if anybody uh, is descended from them or thinks they're descended from them, we'd like to hear from them. Uh, one of the things that we're planning to do is, is a DNA study. Um, Ancestry.com donated some DNA kits to us to get started on this project, and we're going to be distributing them to uh, descendants from all the different locations where, where they were, here in Louisiana and hopefully in Maryland also. And we'll, we're going to look to see if we can find some uh, family connections through DNA um, so that's something we definitely want to hear from some people uh, in Maryland. Right. Well, I mean, there's another question, because if you're going to try to find family connections through DNA, how, I mean, how are you going to do that? Do you have a baseline group of people already identified, and you're just trying to find those who match them? Because you don't well, have the remains, do you? You no, we're going to be having uh, descendants, those that we know are descended Known from, descendants. that we have the, mm -hmm. the, the uh, paper trail that takes them back there. Uh, then we, we may start doing suspected people or the ones that we, don't, we can't quite, you know, document but we think are. And um, then also when we have them in the database, we're going to be able to see other people who've already tested possibly and to see mm -hmm. if there's any connections there. And fortunately, we have Ancestry.com's expert is going to be helping us with the analysis of that. So um, we're, we're very excited about that part. But it, we haven't started distributing the kits yet. That's the next step that we're going to do. And we really would like to make contact with some of the descendants of those who stayed in Maryland. Mm, yes, that would be very interesting to even to do that. Well, Patricia, since you, I mean, your family discovered your connection a long time ago, are you uh, sharing with people your experience and, and your own 
own reaction when you discovered that your ancestor and you said you saw Father uh, Malady's name on on a, a bill of sale. What was that reaction to you and your family? Well, being a big family of Louisiana Louisiana Catholics, we were quite shocked and appalled uh, when we found out. It's been 12 years, so there's been some healing on on that issue. But um, we, you know, we went to Catholic schools. We attended, uh, we went to church, Catholic churches, Catholic um, confirmations, we made, you know, First Communion, so it, it, it came as a shock, it was just a shock. Yes, I guess and it yes, would I'd come share, as a shock. I information yeah. with my family, I have shared mm-hmm. the information with my family, and initially, you know, it was, the the, the research was for the family uh, reunion. And so we had that reunion, and that research mm-hmm. was part of it, part of the discussion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and since it's broken, you know, the story broken, the the times. I understand. My sister told me uh, that on Sunday, when her, when my aunt went to church, and this is the one who's nine years old, got up and was waving the papers and telling them all about it. So. Uh, the family has been contacted. They know about it, and they're very excited about it. Um, they planned on sh- sharing it with their children. Uh, and we have another family reunion coming up, and it's going mm-hmm. to be in Washington, D.C., October 6th oh, through the 9th. Oh, okay. Yes. yes, and we are going to uh, – well, I – I am going to have a tour of Georgetown University, and um, Professor Rothman is going to do that for me. And I told him that I have family members who are interested. Not everybody is interested, but I have some family members who are interested in the tour, and so he's he's agreed to that. Uh, I just need to wait until our activities get in place before I can commit to the tour. Because we're going to do some family things like tour the White House and go sure. to the Af- the African American Smithsonian uh, Museum oh, yes. that's opening mm-hmm. up on September twenty fourth. And um, but before that, I'm going. To, I'm, I am going to attend the International Genealogical the International Black Genealogical uh, Summit. Yes, mm-hmm. which is going to happen in September. Third through seven, I think, and um, Richard is going to come down from Boston and give me a tour of Georgetown at that time. Okay, so and I'll and then there's a recommendation. Place. There's a recommendation for you coming out of the chat, and it says you should go to St. Mary City, the beginning of the state of Maryland, and the first Catholic mass in North America was there. And so she's suggesting that you also visit. Uh, we have a caller on the line, area code 443. You're live. You have a question or a comment. 
Yes, hi, good evening, Bernice. This is uh, Angela in uh, Baltimore. Yes, uh, I, I'm the one who was making the comments about uh, Agnes's work, uh, Agnes Callum, Dr. Agnes Callum. She is, uh, well, she recently passed away, but um, she is one of the original families descending from Jesuit slaves in St. Mary's County, extremely well-documented, and um, in fact, the Jesuits actually arrived with nine indentured servants, including Matthew de Souza, who was the first black Marylander. And they brought these servants with them on the Ark. The Ark and the Dove arrived in 1634. And most of the parishioners, the old family parishioners of St. Francis Xavier, which is the oldest black Catholic church in, in North America, uh, these families all come from St. Mary's, and Agnes herself was an eighth-generation Roman Catholic. And I strongly urge, um, and I can certainly put uh, Ms. Riffle and others in contact with Dr. Martina Callum, who is uh, Agnes's daughter, who's still carrying on a lot of, of her mother's work. And um, there's just a tremendous amount of information that's there and wanted to just uh, hope that they do connect with the parishioners, at least if they're doing a DNA a project to connect members of, uh, of St. Francis Xavier Parish with people in Louisiana that they may be trying to test also, because these are the people who stayed back, but who are documented descendants of Jesuit slaves in St. Mary's. We'd be very happy to have that information if if you could share it with us. I'll be happy to pass it on. I'll pass it on through um, uh, Bernice and also encourage you to look at back issues of the Catholic Review. Uh, Dr. Callum wrote articles all the time for the Catholic Review uh, before she passed, so you may find quite a few things there about uh, some of the Jesuit health slaves, too. Great. And Thank you I'll so much. Sure. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you very much, Angela. Okay, so we're at the point now where you are looking for descendants. You have DNA kits that you will be disseminating to those descendants. And what's, you know, how are people just reacting to this information in Louisiana? There's just a lot of attention being given uh, around the country to the, the the whole notion of a university and a Catholic university selling slaves. And for those listeners who have heard my show before with uh, Dr. Uh, Craig Stephen Wilder on Ebony and Ivy, we know that many universities uh, had slave uh, labor, and slaves were very significant, played very significant roles in these universities. Uh, not that it was a scholarly role, but it was a role. What's the reaction down in Louisiana? Well, we've had a lot of news articles, uh, some newspaper articles and television articles about it. Um, Of course, there's um, opinions on both sides, and, um, um, you know, I try to stay out of that. I'm sticking straight to the with the genealogy and doing my research, so I don't want to get uh, too caught up in all of the emotional parts of it. I have to stick with my records and do the documentation. 
Well, I can understand that, but you know, it it does involve emotions, whether we want to say genealogy doesn't, (laughs) it does involve emotions. I know, I know, it's hard not to, but, uh, it is. It is sometimes very difficult not to. Yes, Patricia? Can I tell you the the reaction here in Spokane? Okay. Um, Well, last Thursday, the 12th, um, we were on the front page of the local paper, uh, above the fold, a very long article. Uh, We made the library newsletter, you know, the main library newsletter. We've made, um, well, this article has not been written, but we were going to be in the African-American newspaper called The Black Lens in June. So we're getting quite a bit of reaction, and because I am the uh, president of the Eastern Washington uh, Genealogical Society, I'm getting all kinds of, you know, reaction from them and from my society. They're very happy that we're getting all this attention because the article that was uh, published in our local paper focused on the other people, not just my story, and uh, I have seven researchers who are helping me research the Butler line. And the, the the point of the story, it just highlighted everything that we do for the community. And uh, we've gotten lots of walk-ins. We, you know, we most of the people who are helping me are volunteers on Tuesday at the library. And we take walk-ins for help with genealogy. They can call it in. They can email it in. They could come any way they want to. And so we're getting a lot of uh, calls as a result. We're going to be busier than ever. I don't know if we're going to ever have enough time to uh, to work on the butlers. <laughs> but uh, a lot of community uh, people are coming in for, for assistance. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful and they to say hear because, that. They saw, yeah. the, they saw this, the, the article that brought them in. So right. We're very, right. We're very happy. Right. Well, also, I I read about the reaction of the Georgetown Memory Project founder, uh, Richard Cellini, and he uh, mentioned, you know, we're talking about human beings, we're talking about mothers, we're talking about children, we're talking about fathers, and they're being so, and, I mean, how could something like this happen? We must find those families and so the reaction was of emotion and it was recognizing that we are talking about human beings that happen to have been sold and put in slavery Uh, but this was uh, part of an article that I read uh, that he wanted to at least participate and support this project and so that's that's really great that you have someone, a former graduate, to say we have to do something. So what do you think should be done? I mean, you're identifying descendants, but what else should should happen with those descendants once they are identified? Well, Judy, well, Patricia, uh, that is not <laughs> up to me. <laughs> 
that is, uh, you know, I'm giving them the names and the information for Georgetown and the others to decide what to do it. I'm trying to do my best to uncover their history because that's what's important to me in my life is to understand, you know, my ancestors and their story, and I'm trying to give um, a a history, uh, a a genealogy of, of these people to their descendants. So um, that's that's what's important to me, and uh, that's my contribution. Mhm, mhm. And so many people want to know their history, and sure. so it's good that you're willing to contribute uh, that piece of information uh, to kind of fill in the blanks of what happened to my family and how right. did they get to Louisiana. Uh, they're from Maryland, and they're no longer Catholic, or they're still trying to practice their faith. So uh, certainly those are some questions that, that many people will have uh, when they are searching for their family connections. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show, and I want to know, do you all have any parting words for us uh, about the Georgetown Memory Project so that we can continue to also uh, read and and understand how to connect the dots, especially for people who who know that they have roots in uh, in in Maryland, but they end up ended up in Louisiana. Well, our our work is ongoing, and uh, you know we're we're really just sort of at the beginning of of the process, and we've got a lot more research to do, and we'd like to hear from more people. Um, if they think they might be descendants, uh, to contact us, either me or the Georgetown Memory Project or Richard Cellini, uh, to let them know um, that they might be a descendant and they would like to be kept informed of what's going on. He's really organizing that effort. Um, so, you know, we're, we'd like to hear from people who, um, who might ha- be able to share their information. Okay, yeah. and Patricia, do you have any parting words for us? Well, as Judy says, this is an ongoing project, and I don't see the end in sight for a very long time. <laughs> um, I do this just to tell my story. I never considered okay. reparations as as a goal or apologies as a goal. I just want to get the story out there, and I think I kind of knew the reaction would be this way because of who the uh, slavers are. So when having met all the goals of the, of the GMP, um, we've identified most of the people, I think, involved in the 1838 sale. We still have not identified all of the living descendants. I know all mm-hmm. of my descendants. That's, I mean, uh, descendants from my line, I do that. I know that. Um mm-hmm. And then, you know, the other goal of the project is to honor the sacrifice and legacy, and that would be probably may take the form of a monument with the names or maybe scholarships from the university. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, and Judy, there's a, a, a question coming out of the chat, and the questioner would like to know how many – uh, will be testing. How many people are you hoping to test with the uh, Ancestry DNA uh, kits? Uh, well, we have uh, 18 kits to start off with, um, but mm-hmm. uh, we may be, they may be donating some more kits to us. 
we're going to get this. This is the first round. Okay. And I have okay. taken the test with ancestors, so they don't have to give me a test, uh, a DNA kit. I, I I've taken the test. Okay, so that that means that you. everybody has to look to see if they're related to you. Is that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Patricia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you, Judy Riffle and Patricia Bayon Johnson, for joining us tonight to share information on the Georgetown Memory Project. And everybody, please remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and AfroGenius Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday. Also, you can get useful tips resources, and insights into writing all things book publishing on the Write Books That Sell Now weekly podcast. Subscribe to the feed, the free site at writebooksthatsellnow.com and get ready to learn how to write, publish, and market your books to tell the stories of your ancestors and leave a lasting legacy for your family. That's writebooksthatsellnow.com. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Babies Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC, and my website is www.geniebroots.com. I look forward to everyone joining me next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Judy. Good night, Patricia. Good night. Good night.